0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to exploring exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Every week, I read some of your letters as our way of respecting the very important role you have in helping us to make this show successful. Last week, our guest was Lindsay Wagner, and we spoke about her retreats designed to facilitate the integration of mind, body, and spirit to awaken the human potential and heal the body. It was a fascinating hour, and I would remind all of you to be sure and check out her January Retreat in beautiful Hawaii. I'm working on attending that one myself. I have to move some things around in my schedule, so we'll kind of see, but it certainly promises to be well worth being there. Remember, you can check it out by going to lindsaywagnerinternational.com. All right, to the letters, and there were very many. Robin wrote, Lindsay is impressively wise. I loved her explanation of the importance of acknowledging our faults. I've never looked at it like that before, and it coincides with something else I'm hearing and learning. I love Lindsay Wagner. She is beautiful inside and out. Thanks for getting her on your show. Margaret wrote, caught the replay. I love the part about accepting our flaws. Thanks for the loving message. Gary wrote, I enjoyed Tuesday's radio show with Lindsay Wagner. I remember watching her as the bionic woman. She mentioned that through EFT, we can transmute negative emotions into positive ones. I don't take issue with whether this or similar techniques can turn negative emotions into positive ones. My question is whether the karma behind such emotions gets transmuted as well. I find that in the new spiritual movement, we talk about overcoming negativity. However, I believe that to be truly free of negativity, we have to transmute the karma behind it. I've been taught that karma can be transmuted through such activities as prayer and service. I don't believe it can be tapped away. Well, that's an excellent point, Mark. But we must also remember that not everything a person experiences in this life is necessarily the result of some prior lifetime's karmic cause. Suzanne wrote, I love Lindsay Wagner. She was recently on Healing with the Masters and led a beautiful meditation. She is so wise and real. Elaine wrote, I listened to to the Lindsay Wagner show. It was wonderful. She was very sensitive, and I related to her when she said something about when she was young, she was, quote, lost in the teacher's face, close quote, rather than listening. This was me. Well, you know what, Elaine? I relate, too. Thanks for the note. Susan wrote, she is a beautiful soul. I was at one of her workshops. It was the most amazing experience. I would do it again in a heartbeat. All right. Remember to check out Lindsay's January workshop in Hawaii. It's January 9th to the 15th. And again, you can get the details at her website, lindsaywagnerinternational.com. Loved your letters. On to another subject. Brett wrote, Thank you, Dr. Taylor. Your mind mind programming book is genius. Your forgiveness messages can heal the world. Well, thank you, Brett. I agree with you, especially about forgiveness, and that's why the program is free on my website. Remember to get yours. Ina wrote, I have lots of your CDs, and I love them. I also wanted to thank you for sending me a gift of the Creativity CD. I was able to start to write again. God bless. Well, thank you, Ina, and I'm thrilled for you and your success. And Natalie commented on my book, What Does That Mean, with this remark? I love, love this book. I just realized that I don't have it in my library. I'm going to buy it. I practiced the power of the mind to stop the time, and it worked for 15 minutes. I would love to read the book again. Well, thank you, Natalie. The doing definitely discards the doubt, doesn't it? All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming, and thank you for your support. Now to today's show, The Afterlife Revealed. According to today's guest, Messages from the spirits inform us that instead of a heaven-held dichotomy, there are many levels, or as Jesus has quoted, many mansions, and that we cross over to the other side based on what might be called a moral-specific gravity. Now think about that, a moral-specific gravity. For example, imagine the difference between two people, one a selfish individual and the other a caring, sharing person. According to this analogy, one would be less dense and therefore find a higher level of heaven than the denser, selfish one. I suppose that would be somewhat like the balloon that falls to the ground versus the one that floats upward. Indeed, many mystical systems contain levels or degrees of glory, and this idea of a moral specific gravity would fit well within those systems. But then the question, How would we know what the afterlife is like without actually being there? From whom do we obtain this information? Can we rely on the words of channels, mediums, psychics, those claiming to experience NDEs and the like? Should we care? Well, think of it this way, as our guest today puts it in his marvelous book, The Afterlife Revealed. If you knew you were going to be living in a foreign country for some time, Would you be interested in gathering information about that country? You know, we're all in for the adventure, sooner or later, that we think of as crossing over or rising up, the risen, as August Goforth has informed us on his show. So should we be interested or do we just suppress our desire to know due to a fear of dying? Our guest today, Michael Tim, has been with us before. He is a graduate of the School of Journalism at San Jose State University and has been a freelance writer for more than 50 years. He's contributed more than 1,500 articles to some 40 newspapers, magazines, journals, and books on various subjects, including business, sports, travel, human interest, and spirituality. He currently serves as editor of the Journal of Spirituality and Paranormal Studies and The Searchlight, both publications of the Academy of Spirituality and Paranormal Studies, of which Mike is Vice President. Mike won the 1999 Robert H. Ashby Memorial Award given by the Academy for his essay on Dying Death and After Death. His metaphysical articles have appeared in Atlantis Rising, Fate, Mysteries Nexus, Vital Signs, Venture Inward, Christian Parapsychologist, and many more. Mike has authored three books, The Articulate Dead, Running on the Third Wind, and The Afterlife Revealed. So let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Michael Tim.
1: Oh, thank you, Alden. Thank you for having me on.
0: Uh, it's good to have you back on the show, sir. Now, I know you've been on the show before, and, and some of our audience probably would have you know, some recollection, at least, of why or how you got involved in in studying the paranormal, but... Uh, you know, for those that haven't, give us a little bit of a of a background on what what ever inclined you to be doing what you're doing today.
1: Well, I just it just sort of evolved, I guess. Uh, sometime around age fifty, I felt a need to somehow get back to religion. I grew up a Catholic, um, but left the Catholic Church around age thirty and and had done nothing in the way of. Um, um religion for some twenty years, and then i uh, some there was something at age fifty I guess it said you you 've got to get back into this and i I started going to some Protestant churches and they just didn 't work for me and um uh, along the line i i um was back in new york city and and just coincidentally my wife uh, had to go to Atlanta for a conference that same weekend, and I decided to take the train down to meet her in Atlanta. And uh, at the book at the uh, little bookshop at the Washington D.C. train station, I picked up a book on um, uh, Edgar Casey and reincarnation. And I I really wasn't that interested in in the subject, but there didn't seem to be anything else there to to read, so I grabbed it, read it on the way down, and was just fascinated by the whole subject. And that pretty much started. It started out with the reincarnation, then I got into near-death experiences. And then in uh, 19, the late 1990s, I was in England and had an interesting experience there with, with some uh, mediums. And so it, my my interest then went more to mediumship than, than reincarnation and near-death experiences. But I've tried to uh, integrate all of them into um, uh, my book.
2: Now
0: you and I have talked before and, and I know you have a, a conservative background and um uh, and, and a good deal of training in, in the sciences. So, you know, uh I guess I have to ask, and and this is, you know, on a personal level, to the so, so-called skeptic, you know, the, the your paranormal reports and books are would argue as you do for an afterlife that simply in their words would be delusionary, delusionary. So Now around here we tend not to call the skeptic anything other than a cynic, because a true skeptic is at least open-minded enough to look at the evidence, and most of these folks aren't. You and I both know that. But, so my question, Mike, you know, again, a personal one, how do you feel when you come up against this purely mechanistic view of the universe that attacks your work and what you, your discoveries?
1: Well, I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand the closed-mindedness that that people can have toward the whole subject, you know. And I wonder. I have friends uh, at my age. I'm in my mid seventies, and uh, they see themselves um, as devout atheists and and see nothing ahead. They have a very um, bleak outlook, but they just won't even look at the evidence. I try to get them to look at uh, some of the evidence that I've come up with in my first book, The Articulate Dead, they just won't take a look at it. So I, I don't, you know, all I can say is egos involved. They just don't want to uh, have a dent in their armor um, and even show any interest in it at all.
0: You know, and there's some pretty amazing evidence that you you document, and we'll get to that in a bit, but a lot of your work is historical or documentary in its nature, and by that I mean you report on a number of cases from the 19th and early 20th century or even before, but not much of your work addresses findings today. Things like, you know, ectoplasma, the paraffine molds and the like simply do not seem to be presenting themselves today. Have I got that right? Or I mean, so I, I guess I'm wondering, is there less spirit activity today than than there was in the past? Uh,
1: I think there is. At sometime around 1930, um, psychical research turned into parapsychology, and the parapsychologists became more interested in, in uh, verifying ESP and things not directly related to the survival of consciousness after death. And the reason uh, for that, I think, is because there so many of the researchers uh, prior to 1930 just came under attack by the, the skeptics. I mean, you, you have some very famous uh, and respected scientists, Sir Oliver Lodge is one of the top physicists in the world at the time. Um, Dr. Charles Richet was a Nobel Prize winner in medicine, uh, Dr. James Hislop was a uh, respected um, professor of of uh, psychology at Columbia University, and there were a number of others, but they, they all came under attack. Nobody um, um, respected their findings, and so they just sort of retreated sometime during the 1920s, and that's when it all turned to parapsychology and ESP. It's, it's never got back there since. Uh, and I think also that um, I think the spirits retreated. Uh, there were messages that came through during the 1890s and early 1900s that said that we, you know, we being spirits, uh, didn't anticipate, um, number one, that the low-level spirits would be able to influence our communications as much as they have. You know, we, we tend to lose uh, sight of the fact that, that the spirits are not all powerful or not all um, you know what? What religion makes them out to be that they can do anything? Uh, they are working on their side uh, just as we're working on our side to try and communicate. Or at least back in the 1850s, they were uh, when when all of this seemed to have, have uh, started. They, yeah, um you know, it, it all started in 1848, I guess, with the Fox sisters. That's that's the um, um, seminal event. The Fox sisters started hearing raps. Um, Around their house, and they didn't know what it was, but they they figured out that they could respond to the raps you know and ask the raps you know th- three raps would mean yes," two raps would mean no," and one rap would mean "I don't know," or something to that effect and this the whole communication began with that and and it was supposed to have been the idea of Benjamin Franklin. After he died, he figured out how to make these wraps and to start, you know, the communication process going. And the reason for that was that we had just become so materialistic by that point, you know, even in the 1850s, we were turning to materialism, and um, there was a need uh, felt on the other side to try and bring us back to spirituality, not necessarily religion, but spirituality. And so... Through the late 1800s, this progressed, but there was just so much opposition to it, both by science and by religion, that it just didn't get off the ground. And so, then, sometime around 1930, they just gave up.
0: Both, both a matter of uh, the methods that are used to investigate today and the spirit activity—that's what we're basi- what you're basically saying. Refresh right. my memory: the Fox sisters and the Rapping. Uh, they were actually, if I recall, they were told there was a body hidden and that body was, or skeleton, was later discovered. Something along that line. Isn't that correct?
1: Right. The the the, the spirit that was supposedly communicating with them through the wraps um, was a former resident of the house who had been murdered by um, a um, door-to-door peddler, I, I think it was, and then buried under the house. So the message came through that, you know, uh, I can't think—I forget his name offhand. But anyway, they started digging um, um, under the house, and they did find uh, bones uh, indicating that um, someone was, in fact, buried there.
0: It, pretty powerful evidence. Let's let's do this. Let's—I mean—conversations about Lodge and others. Uh, tell us about Emanuel Swedenborg. And his work and what he did and learned. Let's let's begin there.
1: Okay. Well, Swedenborg uh, is actually called the first spiritualist by some. He um, lived in the late 1600s and early 1700s. Actually, somewhere on age 56, uh, right around 1746 or somewhere, um, he had an awakening. Um, it's unclear from his writings exactly how this awakening came, but it was more of an out-of-body experience. Some sort of clar- he calls it clairvoyant visions. Whether it was an out-of-body experience, uh, clairvoyant vision, it's not really clear. But he started uh, visiting the afterlife realms and communicating with spirits, and he set down something like nine books, uh, you know, relative to relative to his findings. And he was the first to really. Say that you know heaven and hell is not a dichotomy. That there are many realms, uh, many, as as you pointed out, uh, many many mansions um, um, in the afterlife, and that we go to those mansions based upon you know what we built up during this life and and um, um, the, the moral specific gravity that you mentioned. So we we go over to another level based upon that moral specific gravity. So he was he was the first one that really came up with this, but it wasn't really until 1850 that um, the whole spiritualism idea came about. Although The, the, the Swedenborgians um, don't accept spiritualism per se, so there's sort of a um, division there. They don't feel that it's good to continually go to mediums and to listen to mediums, which to some extent I agree with. Uh,
0: well, let's go to there, because, I mean, you know, there's, first of all, there's the question of reliability about mediums, and before mm-hmm. we start talking about what we can expect on the other side, you know, I, I guess we should maybe look at the at the messenger, not not just the message. And and some of the mediums, you know, they they do things like automatic writing, and other mediums uh, are in trance, and they're speaking, I mean, their methods all differ, so... Uh, what have you found in your research, or or have you, I I guess I should say, that would give rise to credibility behind mediumship per se?
1: Well, number one is the consistency of the messages. Uh, when, when these same messages start coming through different mediums, then you've got to figure out there might be something to it. Now, back in, in the 1800s and 1900s, they didn't have Google and everything else, so to some extent... You know, you can believe that these various messages that were coming through were not reaching other people as fast as they do today. T- you know, today when something comes up, I mean, everybody knows about it the next day because of the internet, and so it, it's not as credible as it was back then. Um, if you had a message coming up in in um, you know Boston, Massachusetts, and the same message in London, and the same one in India, um, all about the same time, then you've got to Figure maybe there's something to it. So, uh-huh. yeah, I'd say the consistency is, is more than anything else, as well as the credibility. That they were researched. I mean, uh, the, the people that I mentioned, Lodge and Hislop and Boucher and, and so forth, I mean, they, they attested to the credibility of the people. There's no doubt in their mind that these were not, uh, most of them anyway. I mean, they, they did find some charlatans in there, but um, the main figures that, that they've written about were credible people
0: with credible witnesses and and there's some pretty uh pretty astounding evidence uh, like you know there there's this paraffin this whole matter of the paraffin cast of of the hands of a spirit that were taken during a, a seance of sorts tell us about that mike
1: yeah that was a, an experiment conducted by um dr richard who i mentioned uh, was a nobel mm-hmm. prize winner in medicine in 1913 and dr gustav Geely who was a French physician, uh, this took place around 1916, as I recall. Uh, they were conducting uh, research with various mediums, and this one medium from Poland, his name last name is Kluski, uh, they found, uh, I, I'm not really clear on how it came about, but they, they decided to see if the spirits that were manifesting there in the seance room could whether they could make paraffin moles out of their hands if they could dip their hands into some paraffin and uh, leave some some moles of them mm-hmm. and you know it's important to keep in mind that, that these were done on these tests were done under very strict conditions uh, Dr Geely would to completely search the people before they came into his room. He would lock the room behind him so that there was no question that you know, there were no Confederates involved. So they were sitting in there, uh, Richet, Gilly, and they also had Camille Flammarion, who was a, a well-known astronomer, uh, French astronomer at the time. And they would the spirits would manifest, and they would ask him to dip their hands into the paraffin and they would develop moles, and the, these moles still exist today. They're back there in in uh, Paris at the Metaphysical Institute, I think it's called. Now, and there's, there's photographs. And indeed, of them.
0: they they checked the moles, didn't they? They make sure that it were that they weren't the same hand size, fingerprints, et cetera, and so forth. As as anyone had been in the room, uh, following that. Listen, when we come back, we'll we'll pick up some more of this. We've got a hard break coming up, Mike. So. Uh, You you know, if you're not in our chat room, we invite you to go there now. Uh, You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. We're talking with Mr. Michael Tim about his newest book, The Afterlife Revealed. It's a great read. There are links on my website to it. You can find it at, uh, well, online at uh, at all the online stores. I happen to really like this book. If you're not, uh, uh, you know, again, as I say, if you're not in our chat room, now's a great time to do it. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss what's coming up next. We'll be right back after these words from some of our friends.
2: Confusion. Deception. Manipulation. Feeling a bit controlled? Lost? Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback, ready for
0: a change? Inner talk. Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier, from losing weight
2: to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses. Learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit
0: www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing revelations about the afterlife with author Michael Tim. But before we get back to the program, I would like to invite you to join me on Facebook and or follow me on Twitter. And it would be nice if you would subscribe to our free newsletter when you're at EldonTaylor.com. I would also like to invite you to tell at least one person this week. About our radio show. Indeed, if you enjoy our show, please shout it out. Okay, let's get back to to what we were discussing, Mike, before the break. Okay. Uh, the paraffin test. You know this paraffin mold experiment. The fact that the mold still exists. You know, I'm reminded. You, you mentioned Ben Franklin years ago. I was doing some research uh, having to do with hypnosis and its its use in the law and so on and so forth. And I came across uh, work by Ben Franklin where he had headed a committee uh, that had been set, you know, set up by uh, the United Kingdom to investigate uh, hypnosis. And one, one of the measures that they used to ensure that a subject was truly in hypnosis was the test of levitation. Now, Ben Franklin wasn't an idiot, and, and in the report, they talk about how they looked for pulleys and ropes and made sure there were, you know, nothing of that nature was there. And when this subject did levitate, then they were convinced they were in hypnosis, and then they proceeded with the experiment. Now, I've asked some of my my friends, you know, the heart physicists, the materialist. I've said, you know, how do you explain this? And they basically say, we don't have an explanation. But because we don't have an explanation doesn't mean that it's parapsychological. People can't just float. Well, you know, I look at these paraffin molds and I think, look, if if there is ever a white crow, here's a pretty big white crow. You know, Uh, what do you hear when you say to people, how do you explain this?
1: Yeah, it's the same old answer. That there has to have been something that hasn't been reported, or that they overlooked, or they were just plain duped, but they didn't understand it. I mean, that's the same answer that all the skeptics come up with. I mean, Nobel I,
0: and, Prize-winning scientists just were duped. They just overlooked it, you know. Right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> you know, another thing to point as far as the test conditions. Both they had the medium sitting between them, and each of them were holding his hand. I mean, they had to do it under red light. I mean, as as you and many of your listeners no doubt know, that ectoplasm um, is sensitive to light, and the medium can be injured if there is is white light in the room. So they they use red light. They can still see the medium, but that you know for strict test controls, each each of them held his hands so that there could be no question that that he didn't get up and dip his hands in the paraffin. But a couple of the hands were child's, uh, you know, they were child size. Um, right. and, and there was no question. They even went so far as sending the um, uh, the paraffin hands to a um, fingerprinting expert to check them out uh, you know, against the medium's fingerprints and found out right. that there was no comparison with them. And, I, you know, it just couldn't get any better than that. So I, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the skeptics just won't look at it. They say that, uh, you know, it, there's something that isn't being reported, something we're not seeing here. And it. And uh, we don't know what it is, but it just can't be true. And the same thing with levitations. I mean, uh, Sir William Crookes was one of the best uh, or most renowned chemists and physicists in England during the 1870s. um, uh, Spent two years investigating D.D. Hume, uh, who was probably the the greatest physical medium of the uh, 19th century. He saw him levitate. Uh, Alfred Russell Wallace, who was co originator with Charles Darwin of the natural selection theory of evolution, uh was present, saw saw levitation going on. They att- you know, they attested to it, but mainstream science just wouldn't accept it. Uh, there's something you know, something's wrong here. It's not, not um uh inconsistent with natural law, so you guys just misobserved. Maybe he hypnotized you or something and made you believe that <laughs> uh um, it
0: re- reminds me of the story, you know, Galileo bringing some of the church uh, scientists over uh, to look through his telescope, and they accuse him of painting objects on the end of the lens. Right. <laughs> well, okay. Now, the literature has some substantial differences with respect to what we are to expect when we cross over. Are there different worlds on the other side i mean for for some, everything is bliss, harp, music, and the like, and for others, it's a continual school where we go on again and again in you know some way or in some form for still others, it is you know you suggested as I mentioned at the uh, at the top of the show, there are degrees of glory that we participate in, and one of those degrees is the lowest, and so you know Dante tells a great story about that lowest. What what is the bottom line? What what what's going on here, Mike?
1: Well, you know, as you mentioned, the moral specific gravity dictates where we go, so we we pretty much go over as we are. Um, some of the messages indicate that there are seven levels, seven planes, uh, whatever you want to refer to them at. I don't know if that's symbolic or not. There are others who have said there are thirteen levels, thirteen planes, and and. For those saying that there are seven levels, they said there's seven sub-levels and seven sub-levels to so those sub-levels and so forth. So it's difficult to know whether you know, these are symbolic or, or what they are. But you know, I think most of it is pretty much beyond our comprehension, but they're trying to give us some ideas to what to expect. And most of them tell us that, that the average person, the average decent person goes over to the third realm. Um, the... The quote evil person will probably be earthbound and still on the first realm. He can work his way up to the second and third realm, and so forth. And those in the third realm can work their way up to the fourth and fifth uh, levels. But we find uh, conditions pretty much uh, in at the plane or the level that we end up is as as we leave here.
0: So, according to this schematization, then uh, there would be a level that would uh, would fit Dante's uh, scheme, except for perhaps we don't have, you know, hellfires, but uh, we have what the worst of the worst in human.
1: Um... Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know a fire of the mind, so to speak. Uh, we don't. Many of the earthbound spirits supposedly don't realize that they're they're dead, and people say, "Well, how can you not realize you're dead?" And you know, and the question I put to them is, do you know that you're alive when you're dreaming at night? Uh, it's you know a, a total different reality, and there's there's a, a degree of consciousness. I think those on the second level are like, sort of in a, in stu- what I call stupor land. Um, They're half awake and half asleep, and they recognize at times that they are dead, and other times they're not quite sure. And uh, you know, the example I view, when one of the examples I use in the book was. Uh, when we're watching TV, I um, don't watch that much TV. But I got really addicted to the 24 television program when it was on a few years ago, and and I found myself at times, you know, forgetting that you know it wasn't real. There were, you know, the the, the it was a series, and so one hour would end, and you'd have to you know come back the next week to uh, figure out what was going to happen. There was one week that I had a trip planned; and I was going to miss it. I just couldn't. Um, you know, figure out how I was going to see what happened to Jack Bauer, um, and I kept kept reminding myself this is not real. Why do you care? But you know, I did care, and I, I think it's you know, even though it's it's unreal, that's um, uh, becomes part of our reality. And this distinction between reality and reality carries over to the afterlife.
0: Okay, let's let's take a phone call, and then after the phone call, I want to ask you about uh, the story of the entity. And those kinds of of possibilities, both, you know, currently and in history, because our current, you know, what we have currently would tend to give us that kind of a manifestation more than it gives us the kind of manifestation that uh, Lodge and Roche and so forth worked with then. But let's go to go to the phones. Uh, we have a caller from Loganville, Georgia. I believe it's Rodolfo. Rodolfo, are you there?
2: Hey, guys. What's up?
0: Hi. Welcome Hi, to the Mike, show. Um, you got a question for us?
2: I do, man. actually I want to share a little bit. Uh, you told me if I'm over the time, but um, I grew up with a family that was uh, very particular. I think well, everybody can say the same, but um, my dad was a UFO researcher, and, and my mother was very interested in a lot of stuff that was related to art and alchemy and stuff like that. Well, I was just a kid, and we ended up at a point of living for many years— in a house that was built up on top of a, an Indian burial, like a, you know, like a, a cemetery, uh, which I did not know for uh, many years, but I did witness um, activity and uh, stuff that I considered strange as the years went by. But when I was a kid, for me, it was just okay. There's smoke in the hall, <laughs> you know, a smoke that didn't smell or stuff like that, or uh, the, the, the 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 critical point was when we heard like voices under my window, and my mother went to check uh what was it and the only thing we found was like a uh, uh, a set of clothes like like you know like like jackets and and pants and stuff like that, but there was nobody there um, plus my dad used to actually uh go in search of like Indian remains and stuff like that. This was in Argentina where i 'm originally from. And what happened is, uh, my, my question goes to, to this point. I never really experienced fear. I experienced curiosity uh, all the time. And every time we went over the subject with my family, it was just like, oh, you know, just don't bother. They, they, they don't bother you. It was not like, really, or tell me more about it. It was really, it was no big deal. Because it was kind of like everybody was, was okay with the subject and and so i do remember like as i was growing up like meeting other kids and stuff like that, i was sharing this kind of story like people was kind of like looking at me like freaking out and so i i realized that there was two different things the point of view that i grew up with and the point of view that a lot of people had about their subject so when once i was already living by myself uh uh in college i i noticed that i had uh, some kind of following from the, Rodolfo. Uh, yes. Rodolfo,
0: what is your question, sir?
2: My question is that uh, at a point I, I had a I sort of like uh, I talked to this whatever it was like that I was manifesting that was different, um, and I say and established my my intention of communication with whatever it was, and and since that day uh, everything that is invisible or spiritual or whatever it's only being helpful. And I, I want to know if, what Mike thinks and what do you think about, um, you know, the, 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 I think the energy we emanate is the one that actually connects us or links us to whatever is out there, and it's kind of like trying to speak the language you can. You know, you cannot speak Japanese if you don't know how to, but if you are into that or are curious about certain things, those things are going to come and they're going to reveal good, to you, you know what I mean? Good
0: question. Yeah, Good question, Mike. So. You know, and that's in line with where I was going to go with the next one on the entity. Do we attract spirits of the same kind of moral gravity that we perhaps have ourselves, you know, of our own intention? What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think we do.
1: I mean, much of the research that was conducted by those researchers I named, you know, said that very same thing, that we do attract or that the medium primarily attracts the type of spirit that that. She ref- she or he reflects. So if you have a, a a medium of a very, you know, high spiritual nature, she's going to attract, you know, high spirits. And if the person is and you know, pe- people seem to think that mediums are all spiritual people, which they're not. There are some mediums who um, are very vulgar in nature, and they are they tend to attract low level sp-
0: spirits. Okay, that answer your question, Rodolfo? That
2: was my question, and that's, that's, that's a super clear answer. That was my experience, man, for a long time. I never, after clarifying what was my intention of communication with this realm, whatever it was, I don't know how many are, uh, the only interaction that I have is is actually beautiful.
0: <laughs> okay, well, thank you for your phone call, sir. Appreciate it. Now, Mike, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, how should I say this? There There are there are people in uh, this new spirituality if you will that uh, talk a lot about you know the law of attraction and how everything that we get is some kind of karmic consequence or some kind of you know we attracted into our life and in, in part that's basically what you just said with respect to to spirits so <clears throat> you're familiar with the story of the entity the woman who is attacked by a spirit uh, and actually, parapsychologists film this. They make a movie out of it. Uh, it's pretty well documented. Uh, are you are you going to tell me that, in your opinion, uh, people that, that experience those kinds of things have actually opened themselves up and brought it in? Or is it more like some of the literature says, like with small children and possessions, that it's their innocence that makes it possible? Uh, I, I guess what I'm looking for here is I... Uh, I, I equivocate. I would equivocate a little bit on whether or not we we always attract what it is that is you know equal to what we're thinking. I think sometimes there are those that are actually seduced or or manipulated by spirits to the other side. Your take on that?
1: Boy, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I think it, it depends to a great extent on the spiritual consciousness consciousness we've built up in this lifetime, a person who has built up uh, considerable spiritual consciousness will attract, um, you know, spirits of a higher nature. As I said before, those who, who don't have any spiritual consciousness uh, or any knowledge in this area are will probably attract uh, lower-level spirits. I, I don't know any other way to put it than, than that. I, I'm not really into the whole ghost thing uh, I don't follow ghost hunting and, and um, so I, I I'm not really that familiar with with the uh, case you mentioned I may have heard of heard of it but I just don't recall it offhand
0: okay well, what, what do you think then Mike uh, about such things as uh, deathbed repentance precognitions of death reincarnation and so forth is there any truth or value to these constructs?
1: Uh, well, totally different subjects, but I, I, as I mentioned before, I started believing in reincarnation when I started reading the, the Edgar Casey books, but my feeling now is that reincarnation exists, but it doesn't exist in the same way that people who believe in it think it does. There's, it, It's, for the most part, beyond human comprehension, but I think we all have a higher self, and fragments of that higher self reincarnate, so to speak, at times come back into the earth realm but the greater self is still on the other side now how we comprehend that i don't know i mean that's beyond my comprehension i just don't think it it, reincarnation plays out like uh, most people who believe in it think it does but at the same time as i said reincarnation exists
0: so you don't see a person moving from say uh the fifth level to the sixth level as a result of reincarnating and and doing something properly in a physical lifetime that advances them to the next level.
1: No, I do. I I feel that a person can move up to the next level, both by his earthly experiences as well, as well as what he or she learns in, you know, whatever realm he's in. Um, But again, if the person is, let's say on the fourth level and only a fragment of his personality, uh, reincarnate so to speak in the earth realm uh that is helping him progress but his greater self is still on the fourth realm it's not really you know his entire self uh i you know it, it's it's difficult to understand or you know and even more difficult to explain but um i do i do feel that a person that reincarnation in the general sense will help a person uh advance to a higher realm.
0: Okay, focusing on what happens in this whole process, death. is there any value to deathbed repentance? Uh,
1: I don't think it it hurts. I mean, it's not going to undo the life you've led. I mean, if you all of a sudden, uh, uh, two minutes before you die, you say an act of contrition, uh, it's not going to make that much of a difference. I, I, I can't think of any uh, after-death communications uh, that have come through from spirits saying that you know they did make an act of contrition and at you know on their deathbed and they were better off for it. It, it, it it's probably not going to make that much difference.
0: Now, some people have precognitions of death, and at that point in their life, they maybe turn things around and maybe. <clears throat> Maybe the precognition is valid for 30 days or so, uh, you know, so they're very generous with uh, their wealth and and support. It, 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 does that make a difference?
1: I think it does. In fact, I've just coincidentally, I'm, I'm writing a book now um, on the uh, or April 15th. Next year will be the 100th anniversary of the Titanic. Uh, so I was asked to write a book on the transcendental aspects of the titanic Uh, you know what the message we get from it is my very first chapters on the uh, Premonitions that came through with the titanic, but but most of them, you know, were at a subconscious level. They weren't, you know, conscious um, Premonitions Uh, the 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 primary person I'm writing about in my book was William Stead sometimes Brown Steed s-t-e-a-d He had uh, you know, he wrote a book uh, uh, in 1884, I think it was, uh, well before the Titanic about a ship that um, was um, that, that ran into an iceberg, didn't have enough lifeboats, and so most of the people were, were lost. Um, he wrote another article in 1892, well before the Titanic in 1912, uh, along the same line, a ship that was called the uh, Majestic. It would just mm-hmm. coincidentally happened to be commanded by Captain Edward Smith, who was the captain of the Titanic, and uh, it also um, went down due to and you know, did, they didn't have enough lifeboats on it. yet. William Steed was a passenger on the Titanic and was one of the victims. Uh, he Interesting. even though he, you know, it did apparently registered at a subconscious level, but not at a conscious level. And uh, not enough to deter him from taking the trip. But, you know, there are many stories. There are a lot of stories connected with 9-11 about people who, who had these premonitions. They knew something was wrong or something was about to happen, but they didn't know what it was. And they went about their, you know, they ended up uh, dying um, on 9-11. But, with, Mike, with, yeah.
0: We're, we're running out of time. And I, and I want to get to the key message that you feel is the bottom line to your book, The Afterlife Revealed. What, what is that?
1: The, the key message is that, as you pointed out, it's not a dichotomous afterlife. It's not a heaven and hell, as mainstream religion teaches. I, I think the, one of the problems we have in the world today, that the, all the turmoil we have, is because, because people don't believe. They may subscribe to a religion, 75% of the population says they believe in an afterlife, but it doesn't make any difference uh, they still lead, lead the same materialistic, hedonistic life that uh, you know they've been leading all all along because they cannot visualize an afterlife. You have to be able to visualize to some extent. We can't completely visualize it, but I think if you visualize an afterlife, you can better believe in it. You can better change your ways and you know not be so materialistic. So that, that's the main thing: is, is trying to give the person something to visualize that is not that uh, horrific hell and humdrum heaven that that Orthodox religion has taught.
0: The book is the afterlife revealed: what happens after we die. It is a really great read. I mean that seriously. Mike, you do a blog, and before we say goodbye, I, I love your blog. I get you know I subscribe to it. You write some really interesting material. Tell our readers, our listeners, how they can find more about you, what your website is, where your blog is, please.
1: Yeah, well, if you just put my name, Michael Tim, the last name is spelled T-Y-M-N, um, into a Google search, it'll pop up rather than give that whole blog um, um, name. Uh, it's just easier to go to my name, Michael Tim, T-Y-M-N, and the, the White Crow blog is is the one that will... Um, Pop up along with a number of my other articles are also there, so that's the easiest way.
2: All
0: right, and, and it truly is a great blog. Um, and you you've always, I mean, it seems like you're doing articles continually on a new subject, you, and you you did tell us that you've got a new book coming, and The Afterlife Revealed is available in all the bookstores, is it not?
1: Yes, it, no, no. The Afterlife Revealed is only available at Amazon.com, it's not
0: in bookstores. Okay, great. I'm glad I got that. Amazon.com. Well, we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank you all for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week. Remember, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it might be, believing in yourself always matters.